everyone, Pastor Brendan here. I want to welcome you once again to Toronto City Church and to our online worship experience. Every Sunday, 11 a.m., we're here online. We are also now meeting in person on Friday nights for prayer, for worship, for seeking God. I want to invite you to join us in person as we are ramping up now through the summer and getting ready for the fall, where we'll return to full in-person Sunday mornings. We'll be moving to live streaming. So much exciting things happening so much to be thankful for, and I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful that you're here today. We are finishing up our series entitled Inside Out, Staying Sane in a Crazy World. And so if you were with us a couple weeks ago, I started off talking about the gift of peace. And I was talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit peace that God wants us to have, that even when there's all kinds of craziness going around in the world around us, or so much craziness going on outside, God wants us to have peace on the inside that comes out, and that the peace in us is going to be greater than any storm that we come into. So we really laid a foundation a couple weeks ago went through a number of scriptures. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out because it really helped lay a foundation for today. And then, of course, last week, Pastor Jared brought a brilliant word as he continued on this topic. And I'm coming in through today to finish up this series. And actually today, I want to bring in more of a practical edge. So we're talking about inside out, staying sane in a crazy world. We're talking about walking in this gift of peace. And I want to talk with you about just some practical things that I've learned in my life, some practical things I believe the Lord would want to speak to us about so that we can really walk this out. You know what I mean? Come on, somebody where you are, just say, walk this out. And so we're going to walk out. So let me actually pray. I'd like to pray and just commit this time to the Lord, and then we're going to dive right into our content. Jesus, we come before you today. We thank you for this opportunity we have just to be here together. Lord, I thank you for every person that is watching this, God, whether they're watching it live, whether they're watching it at another time. And we just welcome, as we're here, the Holy Spirit to come and reveal Jesus to us in a fresh way, reveal the Word of God to us in a fresh way. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation over each one of our lives. And I thank you that we are uh, we're walking out this gift of peace, now, even though we're in a crazy world, that we are walking in peace and we're walking in joy and we're walking in your love. In the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed with me, said, amen. All right, so let's talk about this practically. Again, we're talking about peace. We're talking about walking this out. You know, one of the things that I found in uh, many years as a Christian, over 20 years now as a lead pastor, that one of the biggest challenges we face as believers is uh, there's you know, all these things that God has given to us in Christ, all these things that belong to us, but the challenge is that we, we don't know how to walk it out. Right? You know, the Bible say, the scriptures say there's so many things that belong to us, but, but if we're honest, we often we look at our lives and we don't see those things. So, you know, at some point we kind of hit a what gives moment, right? Where it's like, okay, Lord, like you, you, you said I have this, but it doesn't feel like I have it. It doesn't look like I have it. Sometimes it feels and looks like I've got the complete opposite of what you said. And really at the reality of this, at the heart of this is understanding the difference between what we have positionally and what we need to walk out experientially. Let me explain what I mean. There's so much that we have in Christ that God has given to us. So for example, it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, it talks about how we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now there's a place of position with him. Because of that, there's things that are ours in the spirit, things that belong to us. But just because we have it positionally doesn't mean we're yet walking it out experientially. We have to learn how to walk out what has been given to us. 
right? This is really important. And when you get this, it'll help you in so many different areas of your Christian walk that we have to learn to walk out what has been freely given to us or else it can stay in a positional place and never actually experience it. A great example of this is that uh, someone could bless me with a thousand dollars and say, listen, I've just put it into your account for you. So now do I have a thousand dollars? Yes. But unless I go and I learn to access that $1,000, right? I take my debit card and I plug it into the bank machine or I understand how to you know, use my debit card to go and spend that. I've got to learn to access it or else I could have those funds sitting there. I could have those funds there and, and because I don't understand how to access them, I never experience it. Now, are they mine? Yes. Do they belong to me? Yes. Do I have it positionally? Yes. But would I necessarily have it experientially? No, until I learn to access it. Hopefully that makes sense to you. I mean, I was just chuckling thinking recently, you know, we realized that Pastor Sharon had an account with money that we totally forgotten about. You know, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but you know, we were doing some research one day. I'm like, wait a minute, we still got this savings account with this money here. Well, that's a good surprise to have. That's a, a good situation. I know some of you are listening today going, man, I wish I could find an account like that. But here's the issue. We legally had it the entire time, but we weren't necessarily able to experience it until we learned to access it or even to use that picture. We became aware of it. So let's apply this truth then to peace. Right? We'll go back to John 14, 27. In the New Living, Jesus said this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Right? So watch it again. He says, I'm giving you peace as a gift. Now, let's do something real simple here. Let's stop for a moment. This is the word of God, right? Who is he talking to? Well, in context, obviously he's talking to his disciples, but we also understand that this now applies to every disciple. So Jesus is saying to you and to me, I'm leaving you with a gift of peace, peace of mind and peace of heart. Now, I just, I want you to latch your faith onto that for a moment. Sometimes that's all it takes. You go, wait a minute, Jesus left me this gift. I'm not going to let the devil run me all over anymore. I'm receiving this gift. And so, but we talked about this peace as a gift, but how do we, here's the question, how do we unwrap this gift, right? How do we walk it out? How do we move it from positional into experiential? See, this is our part, right? We see it throughout the scriptures. There's this this kind of larger principle of God has his part, but then there's our part. And our part is always in response to his part. Our part is always much smaller than his part, but we still have to do our part. Like, for example, in the Old Testament, where it said, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the, the good of the land right? We have to choose to be willing and to be obedient, and then we'll eat the good of the land. It's right there. We just have to be willing and obedient. We always are responsive to the Lord. So like, I just want you to picture, there's Jesus. He's got this gift of peace for you, but how do we live this out? What are some things that we can do on a regular basis so we can live out the peace that belongs to us? Right? Again, catch me. There's a very important differentiation here. We are not trying to get peace, We're not fighting for peace or trying to earn peace. Peace is ours in Jesus. It's a gift he's given to us. He's spoken it over our lives. It's a fruit of the spirit, right? It's there for us. So we are not those who are trying to get peace. We are those with peace who are learning to walk it out, right? I want you to say that right now. Say, I'm not trying to get peace. Say, I have peace. And I'm learning to walk it out. Come on, someone look at your neighbor. Look at someone around you. Maybe just the cat's there or you got a picture on. Just tell them, I'm walking it out. 
right? We are walking this out together. So what are the practical things we can do? And today, I mean, there's so many different directions I could go. We could extend this series much further. And I, I, I have a feeling we're probably going to do some form of a part two at some point further down the road. But I want to talk to you today about two very important practices that if you implement them, I believe your level of peace is going to skyrocket. Like, I believe these are two practices. They're things I've learned in my life, but if I'm honest, they're things I'm still learning. I'm still learning to walk out. But if you will put these practices, uh, really, they're in some degree, it's a spiritual discipline. One, the second is even much more of a practical discipline. But if you'll put these things into practice, you are going to walk out your peace. Like, your peace level is going to skyrocket, right? So, you with me? You ready to lock and load? Let's get into this. All right. So, here's what I want to say right off the top is there's a, a, a foundational piece that, that I'm not going to go, because I could go right off the top and say, listen, if you want to walk in peace, have a daily devotional life, right? Be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Remember, peace comes out of relationship, not out of formula, right? Peace, peace is, we're in relationship with him. His peace is flowing in our life. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The more we walk with the Holy Spirit, the more we're going to see peace manifest in our life. So there's that whole peace, but I, I, I talk about those things a lot. So I didn't want to park there. I wanted to kind of move to two other things, but I didn't want to jump there ahead of that. Because one of the most important things, guys, if, if you want to walk in peace, is this daily devotional life, this daily time with Jesus, reading your word, being in prayer, getting in corporate prayer with others. All these things will feed into creating a climate or an atmosphere of peace. But anyways, I wanted to mention that. But here's two things, two practices. And I believe it's real practical. If you'll put these two things into practice in your life, you will see your level of peace that you're walking out. Remember, you have peace. You're learning to walk it out in Jesus. Right? So what are these two things? Number one, I want to talk to you about Sabbath rhythms. Come on, everybody say Sabbath rhythms. Do you have a Sabbath? Let me explain to you what I mean by this. Genesis 2 verse 2 says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, this is a very interesting scripture. Obviously, Genesis 1, right up to the year in Genesis 2 verse 2, God has been creating the heavens and the earth. And so we could go through it. Obviously, he spoke, and then he saw what he said, and he literally created the heavens and the earth. And it talked about over six days what he created. Then it said on the seventh day, he finished the work that he was doing, and he rested from his work. Now, it's interesting, because if you really think about this, do you think God was tired? Did God need a break? Oh, man, I'm so tired from here. No, God never tires. God never needs a break. I believe he did this and saw fit to put it in scriptures because there was a pattern he was trying to get us to understand. There was a principle he was trying to communicate, a revelation for us that he was trying to communicate. If we go into Exodus 28 to 11, it says this from the NIV. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner reside in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So watch this connection, right? God rested on the seventh day, 
And then he brings this principle out. It's one of the Ten Commandments about honoring the Sabbath for his people. And he connects it right back to the fact of what he did in the ring. That's why I wanted you to see this was more about God establishing a pattern for us. And we see it right here. He talks about it. But he talks about this passage of resting on the seventh day and not laboring and not working. This is the principle of Sabbath. And I want to ask you again, do you have a Sabbath day? I remember hearing a funny story that a, a preacher told and uh, he was talking about the importance of rest. And a lady came after and said, well, Mr. So-and-so, I can't remember what it was, I think maybe it was Brother Kenneth Hagin. But she came up to him and said, well, Brother Hagin, she said, you know what? The devil never stops and I'm not going to stop either. And he kind of smiled gently, looked back and he said, well, why would you want to follow his example? Right? You're kind of like, woohoo, right? Why would you want to follow his example? But you know, sometimes, when, guys, God's example for us was that he worked, but then he rested. Right? Why would we not, why would we want to follow any other example? And so what is a biblical New Testament Sabbath? Because I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about uh, a legalistic approach to a Sabbath where it's, it's on this day and it has to be a Saturday or it has to be a Sunday and you just all these rules around it. I'm talking about much broader biblical principle that's connected to our peace. Uh, a wonderful teacher on this was uh, Pastor Peter Scazzaro. He's written a number of books that have really impacted me. I've mentioned it at different times to you as a church family. Emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy leadership. I'd really encourage you if you're kind of inspired by what I'm saying and you want to dive a little deeper, just look up Pastor Peter Scazzaro in some of his works. Worst case, email me. I'll send you some links. But here's what he said about Sabbath. He said, biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, we enjoy rest, we practice delight, and we contemplate God. Again, watch that. We stop work, we enjoy rest, we practice delight, and we contemplate God. The traditional Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown on Saturday. In most Christian traditions, Sabbath has been observed on Sunday. The Apostle Paul considered one day for Sabbath as good as another, Romans 14, 1-17. So the particular day of the week doesn't matter. What matters is to set aside a 24-hour period and to protect it. That, again, was from Peter Scazzaro. A lot of interesting stuff that he said in there. Again, we're not talking legalism. Paul was very clear in the New Testament context, one day is as good as another, but there's still this principle of having a Sabbath. I ask you, when is your Sabbath? Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I really enjoy... Uh, the Chosen, which is this uh, kind of web series on the life of Jesus' disciples. If you've never checked it out, check it out. It's amazing. But one of the early ones they were talking about, uh, and they're using more of the, uh, I guess, the Hebraic term for it was Shabbat. So my son jumped on it. Dad, is it your Shabbat today? Are you having Shabbat? But really it's your Shabbat or your Sabbath. But here's the four characteristics of biblical Sabbath, because I'm asking you, do you have a Sabbath? And you might be sitting there going, I don't know, do I have a Sabbath? Here's what it is. Number one, you stop. Number two, you rest. Number three, you delight. And number four, you contemplate on God and his goodness. So here's what Sabbath looks like. Zero, so you take a 24-hour period. Now, I think it's interesting because sometimes we think it has to be a full day. But even he talked about in the Jewish tradition, it was from Friday evening to Saturday evening. So he talked about how that's when he would do his Sabbath from a Friday evening. And then by Saturday evening, he started to prepare for service. It's really about a 24-hour period. But here's what you do. You stop. You don't work. You don't clean. You don't, you, you know, there's just, there's a lot of things you stop doing. Because even right now, one of the challenges in our world is that we're just go, 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 do this, do that, high speed, all the things are going, but you find this 24-hour period where you stop. You stop. And then what you do is you rest, right? That's the second part. You take time to rest. 
One of the biggest challenges that we're facing right now, guys, I'll say it this in our context of this message, one of the greatest enemies of our peace is our lack of rest. When you're at a place of true rest in God, you come into a place of peace. And so you set aside these 24 hours, you stop, you rest. But then I love the third part, you delight. See, when I grew up, and especially I remember I would be at a youth camp, Lakeshore Pentecostal camp. I remember when I was really young. On Saturdays, it was Sabbath. You weren't allowed to play any sports. Uh, you weren't allowed to watch television. You weren't allowed to, you know, that was just kind of some of my experience. I hated it. I couldn't wait for it to be over. But see, that's not what true Sabbath is all about, right? That's, I, I remember the, the, the camp, they would lock the basketball courts on Sabbath. I mean, you know, they lock up the courts so we can't go play sports. And that was, you know, kind of a, a perhaps an older mindset or mentality. But, but part of what Sabbath is about is it's about delighting, right? It's about actually like what does God make you to enjoy? What do you love doing? I mean, we all have it. What for you is an activity that you could just do for hours and you get totally lost in it? I mean, it's different for each one of us. Sometimes, you know, it's watching a great show, watching a movie, uh, exercising, playing a sport, uh, working on art, gardening, uh, going out for a walk in nature, going for a boat ride, you know, paddling, a hike. You know, you, I could go on and on and on because we're all different. God created us each with things that we love and we delight. Well, see, here's what Sabbath becomes. What if you took a 24-hour period every week that you guarded, right, as a biblical principle, and you rested, but not only did you rest, but you also engaged in things that you love to do, things that God made you to love, Right? See, that's part of what's been missing. A lot of times we focus Sabbath on stopping this and stopping that resting. We forget the delight part. Like it's actually a time that God says, this is a time every week. This is the way I've created you. You need to stop, you need to rest, and you need to delight. You need to enjoy life and do those things that I love doing. When I've taught this before, I taught it in my Bible school course at Canada Christian College. This is one of the things students would come and say, man, I never saw the delight part before. And it's interesting. Sometimes we feel guilty about enjoying things, but God made us to enjoy them. Right, well, stop, don't do this, discipline, all this. Yes, uh, yes, we need to stop things. And yes, there's things we don't need to do. And yes, we need to have discipline. But guys, God created us to enjoy life and to enjoy things. Jesus came that we might have and enjoy life to abundance to the full till it overflows. Sabbath becomes a day where you're committed to joy. Saturday becomes a day where you, you've got those things that you love doing that just bring you life and bring you joy. And every week you say, yeah, I'm going to work and yeah, I'm going to serve and yeah, I'm going to do this, but I am also going to stop and rest in delight. This is what a Sabbath is. And then the last thing is contemplation. So it's setting aside extra time to just be quiet, to, to refocus ourselves, right? What if you took time every week you know, I don't know about you, but some weeks can get crazy, and I just take that time, and I stop, I rest, I delay, and I contemplate on the goodness of God. This is what a Sabbath is. And guys, I believe that many of us struggle with peace because we're violating the principle of Sabbath. Right? Pastor Sharon and I have really worked to, uh, you know, to follow this. We don't do it perfectly. Every time I preach this message, I, I get even a little more convicted and challenged to, to do it even better. But, you know, with our Sabbath, our Shabbat, uh, I came to understand once we started doing that, because we really embraced this in our lives, and even if I missed a week, I could notice the difference in me. And I have to catch myself and go, oh man, I, I even had a prophetic word from Prophet Yule one day. He said, the enemy's really coming after your Sabbath time, your, sh your Shabbat, because he wants to chip away and wear you down, right? He's not going to come up and just try and take you out all at once. He's going to try and wear, undermine, wear away, chip you down. And, and guys, where is your Sabbath? If we want to be people of peace, 
We need to be people of Sabbath. So what are some things you might be listening to? Okay, what can I do to, to grow my Sabbath? Just some thoughts really quickly because I want to make sure I have some time here for my second point. Number one is do some study. Do some reading. I mentioned Pastor Peter Scazzaro. He's got some amazing things. The other guy is John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer is putting out some amazing teaching and stuff right now on Sabbath and rest. There's so many things you can look into. If you want to email me, I'll send you some links. But those are two great teachers and Bible authors to look up. Number two, identify a 24-hour block of time. Now, here's what it is. For some of us, Sunday works well. For others, I'm in ministry. Sunday's not the best day for me. Monday works well for me. You just find a 24-hour block of time that works for you. And then number three is make a list of what brings you delight. Like if every week you were going to take time on doing things you love doing, what would be on that list? You know, I, I, there was a certain point in my life, Pastor Sharon taught me a lot about this because I was not good at enjoying life. And I was not going to lie. I was good at working. I was good at grinding, soldiering things out. But I get to a point where I had free time. I didn't know what to do with myself because I didn't even have the self-awareness to know what I really loved. Well, over time, I've learned to come to understand things that I really love. So man, you give me a Sabbath, you give me a block of time, I got a list of things that I'm going to do. I love doing them. And I understand that God loves me loving doing them. And it recharges me. It's kind of like recharging your batteries. It stores you back up. What do you delight in? And then number four is take time, prepare in advance. So get serious about this. Set aside your time. Uh, you know, and then define your boundaries. Like sit down and actually think through, this is how I'm going to do it. And make sure you find support. So if you're married, talk to your spouse. Make sure, you know, make sure you both have a Sabbath. Don't have one of you have it. The other one, make, you know, they don't. Get it? You could do it together. You could do it differently. You support each other. Build a network around and then start working at this. But make sure every week you are honoring the principle of Sabbath. You know, it's interesting because as Christians, we talk about spiritual disciplines. You know, we talk about reading our Bibles. Like, yes, amen. Talk about prayer. Yeah, come on, we need to pray. Witnessing, yes, we need to witness. Fast, come on, people, we need to fast. Well, how about rest? We should be as serious about rest as we are about reading our Bible. What about rejoicing, practicing joy in our life? We should be as serious about enjoying life and practicing joy as we are about fasting, right? They're both part of the spectrum of what God's called us to. But here's the bottom line, family. We cannot put... Uh, we cannot break the practical laws that God's put in place and not expect it to affect us. Right? Sometimes we think, well, I love Jesus, I pray, I worship. Yeah, but if you don't have a Sabbath, you're going to start struggling with joy, with, with your rest, your peace, your joy. You're, you're, you're going to struggle with those things. Let's, oh, let's, let's be people who are going to follow his principles in every area of life. Come on, somebody say, I need a Sabbath. Come on, I want to encourage you. Some of you, you just, you need to, this is your word you need to run with this week. And you start taking Sabbaths and watch how your peace is transformed. Watch how the joy in your life is transformed. It's time for you to have a Sabbath. So that's number one. Really quickly, I want to share with you a second thing that the Lord was stirring in my heart. And I actually believe in sharing both these principles. They're very prophetic for us. So number one, you need to have a Sabbath or Shabbat. Number two, you need to shut it off. Come on, somebody say shut it off. You say, what are we talking about shutting off? I'll explain to you in a second. Right now, we are currently living in the greatest time of change since the Industrial Revolution, right? So if you track historically about things that have kind of changed history, changed culture, uh, changed the way we live, we are in the current greatest time of change since the Industrial Revolution. But now, here's what's happening. It's happening at a blistering pace. That we're going through a similar kind of change to life and work and money and everything else, but the pace at which it's happening is exponentially faster now. So if we track through history, we see that new technologies, especially kind of significant new technologies, all bring massive change. For example, the printing press changed the world. 
the Industrial Revolution where they started learning to do factories and you know all that. It changed the world. The automobile changed the world. Radio changed the world. Television changed the world. Now here's what happens. When new technology comes in, it brings sweeping change, both positive and negative. So a new technology comes into place, we very quickly see the positives, but it takes longer to see the negatives. Usually 10 to 20 years before we really start becoming aware of the negatives of this new technology. So here's the pattern. We have a new technology, it brings massive change, but then negatives start to emerge. So adjustments are made, and then a healthy normal is found, or hopefully found with that. Now, the challenge we're into, let me just jump ahead of myself right now, is usually it take 10 to 20 years, but things are changing so quickly now. They're saying every couple of years, there's massive shifts and change. We're, we're not even able to catch up with the negatives of what was happening five years ago so we can make adjustments now because there's more change we're trying to deal with. I mean, we're in, it's just a crazy, crazy season. So what, what am I talking about this current change that we're in? Well, it's really connected to three things. The personal computer, internet, and cell phones. Really from the 70s and the 80s, 90s into 2000s and now. Personal computer, internet, each one of these technologies has radically changed the world we live in. But it's happening so quickly and it's often being monetized, we're not seeing the massive negative effects that it's happening. Over the last 15 years too, interestingly enough, these technologies have all come together, particularly in one device, which I am holding right here, the smartphone. Smartphones are a great tool but they also present great dangers and we need to learn to handle them with wisdom. And I know this is very practical, but I want to suggest to you that this, for many of us, is what is a wrong relationship with our smartphones is robbing us of peace. Now, I know some of you are going, whoa, like you're really going in on this right now, Pastor Brian. But hear me out. Here's some risks of excessive smartphone usage. And this is like scientific studies. Smart, excessive smartphone usage leads to a higher risk of injuries and accidents, uh, a higher risk of posture-related disorders, uh, a higher risk of screen fatigue, a reduced attention span, difficulty sleeping, a disconnection to people and the world around us, a higher risk of identity theft, and literally a higher risk of damage to your neck and your spine because you're always doing this. Just go out into any cafe, into any position right now, and look at what most people are doing, and we're doing this. See, many studies are now showing that there is a real problem with cell phone and internet addiction, right? Uh, an article posted in Help Guide in October 2019 defies, it has this, smartphone addiction, sometimes colloquially known as nomophobia, fear of being without a mobile phone. Have you ever heard that before? It's actually a technical term now. Do you have nomophobia? Are you afraid of not having your phone with you? It's often fueled by an internet overuse problem or an internet addiction disorder. These are real things, guys. They are actually now in different areas of Asia, in Korea, in Japan. They are literally setting up centers to help people with internet addiction, right? We've got the problem. We're just not even identifying it yet here as well as we should be. After all, it's really the tab of the phone that creates the compulsion, but rather the games or apps or online world it connects us to. Here's some things I want you to consider. In Silicon Valley, you know, around San Francisco, California, San Jose, that whole area, like the tech world, there are literally schools that are technology free. So there are schools where they're saying there's no technology in the school. And you know who the majority of the people who send their kids to these schools are? They are the major, uh, they are the executives in the major company for the tech giants. 
In other words, the people that are creating this are sending their kids to schools without it. Former execs and employees of major companies like Apple, Facebook, Google, and I'm not trying to hate on those companies because it's much broader, but it's just the stats. They've come forward with concerns that there's actually, they're making their technology addictive irregardless of the consequences. A 2017 article from Business Insider said this, experts have credited these strategies as factors in the growing number of teen mental health issues, which are increasingly leading to suicide. Research has found teenagers who are more frequently used social media have a greater risk of depression and anxiety than kids who spend out time outdoors or with members of their community. Uh, there's actually a, a film that I want to encourage you to check it out. It's on Netflix, but it's called The Social Dilemma, and they actually go into these things. Now, I'm not here to say you should throw out your cell phone. Best friend says, get rid of your smartphone. You might be watching me on your smartphone. This is good. Okay, we're good with that. I'm not saying ban your kids from having it. But here's the thing I think we need to look at. If we want to be serious about peace, we maybe need to change some ways we're interacting with this. What if your relationship with your smart form was actually part of what's contributing to lack of peace in your life, right? So, so let me just encourage you in some things. These are some things I'm thinking about, some things I'm working on. I'm not doing it perfectly myself, but here's some things. What are some things we could do to change our relationship with our smartphone, right? And, and sometimes we don't realize how much it's disrupting our peace until we make some serious changes about how we use it. So here's some thoughts. Number one, have a set place in your house, or your office where you leave it rather than carrying it around with you. Who told us that we have to have our cell phone on us all the time? Do you know for thousands of years, the world worked just fine and people survived without having a cell phone on their hip at all times? For numerous reasons, and I, I'm guilty as charged, first one, but we just get so used to having it on us all the time. Maybe just stop doing that. Have a place in your house where you leave it. The world will survive. You will survive. And maybe you'll find that your peace gets much more leveled out because you just don't have this thing buzzing, ringing, pinging you all the time. Here's a second thought. What if you made a decision to not take your smartphone into your bedroom? Now, I know some of you are going, oh, I can't even imagine that. How would I? Well, maybe that's a problem right there. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not meaning to be legalistic. Someone says, well, I want to have my cell phone in my bedroom. Okay, I'm not, I'm not. But, but what if you, because it's interesting, how, how about making meals, device three, in our house? Because I think parents, we've even got to think about this with our children. And all my wife's going to be looking at this, and she's just going to be looking at me and smiling at me because she tends to be better about this than I am. But what if we just said, hey, meals in our household, everybody devices away, right? Let's have time to connect. Let's have time to talk. Let's have time over the meal. Because here's what I learned. If you don't put really strong guidelines in place, it just kind of tends to creep up on you. Uh, how about minimizing the apps you have on it, right? What, what if you made a decision that what do I really need on this and what can I access other times? Why? Because I'm trying to, like, research studies are showing this is actually, it's a very powerful technology. There's a lot of good it does, but it's happening so quickly. We don't really understand the negative implications of this. And I'd say this, I think it's having a lot of negative impacts on our peace, on our joy, on what God has for us. So minimize the apps. How about turning off notifications? Who said that every app on your phone should get to get your attention? I mean, Man, if we really think about how much attention is being lost because, you know, do we really need to know everyone that has liked our Instagram posts? Do we really need to know every time someone adds us as a friend on Facebook immediately, right? All these things pull on us. And here's why I encourage you. I'm just throwing thoughts, but I believe the Lord would want to speak to many of us about how some of these things, though very practical, are really robbing us of our peace. How about talking about social media? I mentioned that media, uh, social dilemma. 
a lot of us, they've talked about, there's been a lot of studies now that have shown how social media has been so damaging to self-esteem. Uh, we're comparing ourselves to one another. We're seeing other people's highlights and comparing them to our real life instead of understanding. Most people are, you know, most people are posting carefully curated photos and content that can make their life seem better than it is, right? How many times do you see a couple on a date go, well, it was the last time we went on a date? Well, you don't understand. They did that nice thing and then they turned it off and they were yelling at each other, right? Like, it, just understand it. Am I saying we should get off social media altogether? No, definitely not. I think there can be a good usage of it. I think it can be a great outreach tool and a way to stay connected with people. But are we using it or is it using us? Right? When's the last time you fasted social media or, or fasted your phone? Right? Now, if I say fasting your phone and you get, you know, kind of, you, you start to get kind of, uh, you get angry at me? How dare you say I fast my phone? Maybe, maybe, maybe there's, there's something here the Lord would want to deal with you about, right? Uh, how many times do we do fast social media? Maybe, maybe for some, do we need to come off social media altogether? Is it having a negative impact on us, right? Seeing, we, there's, it's interesting, studies will show, we were never designed to know what, you know, 300 people thought about our outfit today, right? Like, there's so much there that I think we've got to wrestle with and ask the Lord. Here's what it really is. When it comes to technology, when it comes, Lord, is this robbing me of my peace? Right? I actually, uh, at the time of me uh, kind of putting this message together, one of our leaders here at Toronto State Church, uh, Victoria uh, Martin, had posted something on social media, on social media, but it was really good. She said, uh, if it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. Right? And I just want you to get, if it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. Don't buy it. Don't do it. Don't deal with it, right? Whatever it is, if it's going to cost you your peace, it's not worth it. Don't let it take your peace. And I think for a lot of us, the Lord would say to us, it's time to change your relationship with technology, to change your relationship with your phone, because it's robbing you of your peace, and that's not what I have for you. That's not my best. Is there something the Lord would want to say to you in this? Is there something the Lord wants to say to your family? I'm not saying get rid of it altogether. I think there's great uses, and it's a great tool, but we need to make sure that we are using it with wisdom. Come on, somebody say, shut it off. And just, I'd encourage you, have some time. Just turn it off. Turn your phone off and have some time with Jesus. Turn your phone off and spend some time with your spouse. Turn your phone off and spend some time with your kids. Turn your phone off and have meal together as a family. Shut it off and tune into the things that you're into. And I think it's going to make a massive difference in your peace level. Come on, everyone agree with me, said, amen. Or if you're really getting connected or convicted, excuse me, you can say, oh me. Sorry, that's an old preacher joke, but whatever works for you. You can amen, you can owe me, whatever way, let's just roll this. One last verse I want to just close with as we finish it up today. Again, obviously, these are just two things. There's many more things, but I just felt particularly strongly for these things that the Lord would say, if you will heed this, if you'll start to embrace the Sabbath, if you'll start to change your relationship with technology, shut it off and change instead of allowing these things. It can become an, could it become an idol in our lives, guys? Right? It's funny. We, we tend to think of idols and we think of kind of the statue of Baal that we're offering grain offerings to. Well, well, maybe the idol for many of us today looks a little more like this. Right? Again, I'm not trying to hate on Apple. I'm just talking about an, an idol is anything that we worship more than we worship God. It's time for us to shut it down, to shut it off, to change. Why? Because it's not worth our peace. And God wants us to walk in peace. 
God wants us to stay sane in a crazy world, right? From the inside out, let his life flow out of us. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 says this, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord, and everyone agrees with me said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, well, before I go, I just want to say one more thing. And I want to just give an opportunity. If there's anybody tuning in today and you are not right with God. Yeah, today's been a real practical message. I've been talking about Shabbat or Sabbath. I've been talking about shutting off your cell phone. Which maybe some of you never thought you'd turn into a message where the pastor's talking about your smartphones. But we went there today. But again, you might be tuning in today and you're kind of just, if I ask you, are you right with God? Are you ready to stand before him on judgment day? Because the Bible says, there's a point unto man once to die and then we will stand before God in judgment. Are you ready for that day? So the Bible teaches us that God loves us with an everlasting love, but we've been separated from that love because of sin. Because we're separated from that love because of sin, we deserve eternal punishment. I'm not just pointing the finger at you. I'm talking about me. All of us. We all deserve punishment. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus came. He died. He rose again. He said, if you'll turn your back on sin, you'll put your faith and trust in me. I will forgive you. I'll free you. And the punishment that you should have gotten, I'll take on myself, and I will give you my life. I mean, it's crazy what he did. And he said, this is a gift of eternal life. This is a gift of salvation for anyone who wants it. The only thing is, you got to choose to receive it. So it says, well, how do I choose to receive it? It's real simple. You turn your back on sin, you repent, and you call out to Jesus, and you ask him to come and take over and fill you, and you start to follow him and follow his pathway. And so if you're listening today and you need to give your life to Jesus, or you need to give your life back to him, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you came for me. Thank you that you died. Thank you that you rose again. Today I turn my back on sin and I commit my life to you. Forgive me. Fill me. Free me. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed, said, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you. If you prayed that prayer today from your heart, God heard you, God answered you, and you are now right with him. Now, I know it seems simple. Some people are like, no, it's too easy. No, the Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. But he wants you to start following him every single day. So if you prayed that prayer, you meant it. Can you do me a favor? Can you hit the button on your screen? Let us know you did it. Or just send us an email, call us. We want to give you a Bible. We want to pray with you. We want to stand with you as you walk this out and as you follow him. We're so thankful you made this decision today. But we just want to, we'd be so honored to stand with you and to honor you as you walk this out. So God bless you. Thank you today. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope this was helpful and practical. There's, there's more there, but just let's, let's work and let's grow in our Sabbaths, our Shabbat. Let's grow in, in, in our relationship with technology and really make sure that it is a tool to do what God's called us to do instead of an idol that we worship at. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Love you. Again, remember, we're in person this coming Friday. Register online. We love to see you there. And then we're here every Sunday throughout the summer. God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday. Let's continue to enjoy this amazing July.